Welcome to Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. Hi, everyone. Mark Bianchi from the Cowan Energy team. On this installment of the Cowan Energy Transition Podcast, I'm joined by Chart Industries. Chart has a lot of different ways to participate in energy transition and sustainability, be it through natural gas, LNG, hydrogen, or water, to name a few. Today, we're going to focus on carbon capture. Uh, joining me from Chart are CEO Jill Ivanko, as well as Andy Baxter, founder and CEO of SES, and Amy George, founder and CEO of Earthly Labs. Both of these companies Chart has acquired in the past couple years and uh, contribute to Chart's growing portfolio of energy transition and sustainability offerings. So with that, thanks everyone. Uh, before we get into the discussion, maybe we can just go around the table here and have everybody quickly introduce themselves and um, talk about how you got to, to where you are today. So uh, Jill, you want to start off? Great to be here, Mark. Thanks for having us. And I'm Jilly Vanco, CEO and President of Chart Industries, where our focus is on cryogenics, which go into a variety of different applications. So looking forward to the conversation. Andy? Yeah, thanks, Mark. It's great to be here with, with Jill and Amy and you. I, as you mentioned, started Sustainable Energy Solutions back in 2008, and we started working with Chart in 2012 as a uh, really the leader in, in some of the cryogenic equipment that goes into our system. And uh, just a little over a year ago, officially became part of Chart. Hi, I'm Amy George, founder and CEO of Earthly Labs. We're thrilled to be part of the Chart family of companies helping to power the nexus of clean. I founded Earthly Labs in 2016 as part of the Carbon X Prize uh, to address the challenge of um, climate change uh, with the vision to capture and avoid CO2 from small scale emission sources. Uh, we're thrilled to expand on our vision uh, to tackle the needs of um, many industries and people around the world with Chart's help. Awesome. So just jumping in, Jill, let's, let's start with Chart at a high level. So since taking over uh, as CEO a few years ago, you've done a whole lot of acquisitions, investments, you've signed MOUs, all of this um, kind of positioning the company to, to capture more of the, the energy transition value, um, kind of value pie. So for people that may not be familiar, can you just give us a little background on the company? What are cryogenics? Uh, how do you participate in that part of the market? And why is that a good platform to build all these energy transition offerings off of? And then along with that, you know, longer term, what's the vision here? How much uh, how much of this pie do you want to capture? And, and what are maybe some other areas that aren't fully built out today that you could see building out over time? Our expertise at Chart is our design, engineering, and manufacturing of cryogenic process technologies and equipment. So what's pretty amazing about cryogenics is that they work with a variety of different molecules um, and handle these for many applications. We have engineering and manufacturing locations in 20 different, 28 different geographies around the world with over 50% of our team and our revenues outside of North America. So within the value chain of any given molecule, we provide process and equipment to customers that produce and own the molecule. We provide storage and transport equipment to those same customers that produce and own as well as move the molecule to the end use state, which is the third bucket in the value chain. 
So that's a great way to think also about the energy transition and the move towards sustainability and ESG. There are many different molecules involved and we're able to help with them all with our core equipment. And then what we saw was that, for example, a heat exchanger can be used in LNG or hydrogen liquefaction or helium or in carbon capture. So utilizing our core competencies of cryogenics and applying to a variety of different end applications and markets actually keeps us focused on our core competency while taking advantage of the different uh, solutions for the nexus of clean, as Amy referred to, which is clean power, clean water, clean food, and clean industrials. So I talk about the nexus of clean because we believe many of the applications and processes in our portfolio can be leveraged uh, to work together as the movement towards sustainability continues. You'll hear uh, today in this discussion with respect to our food and beverage customers that are looking at using our carbon capture solutions or our CO2 tank customers that are in the cement industry as an example that are looking for the SES solution uh, for carbon capture. So each of the applications in our business around technology for CCUS also go hand in hand with our water treatment offering. So the list goes on. These are just a few examples. We're very pleased with where the portfolio sits today after the inorganic additions to it over the last couple of years. And so our vision is to look at innovative solutions and first market options for the specialty areas of the business. Things like we introduced last week, a containerized water treatment option for the front end of hydrogen electrolysis as an example, and ultimately be the leader in capturing our enormous addressable market in these areas this decade. And that addressable market between now and 2030 uh, for our specialty applications is over $30 billion. Awesome. Well, so we're going to talk about carbon capture, but before we do that, let's just talk about the CO2 market today, because that CO2 use and CO2 just as a molecule is, is a product that, that's used. Um, can you talk about what that business looks like today for chart and how, if at all, CO2 is different from the other gases that, that your equipment touches? So the interesting part of how we went from our traditional CO2 offerings to adding carbon capture capabilities was the natural synergy of our CO2 equipment to the users of CO2 and their need for access to it. From a commercial perspective, it was really a natural fit. And then from building out our ESG portfolio, it also fit really well. So the traditional applications for the equipment that we supply into CO2 are, for example, CarboMax tanks, which are for microbrewing or food freezing, uh, larger tanks for concrete curing, for which CO2 reduces time and expense on the concrete pouring side, uh, CO2 tanks for dry ice storage. We have a CarboMax 750, which is for um, in enhanced cannabis growth that utilizes CO2. And probably the one that I think is the most fun is uh, the decaffeination of coffee. So super critical CO2 is used to decaf coffee. Um, if you look at how is it different, how is CO2 um, different? It's really in the properties of the molecule, um, different than other inert industrial gas products such as nitrogen and argon. Um, it's stored under pressure as a liquid, but used as either a gas or a solid in a number of different application areas. Um, think about it as liquid CO2 can't exist at atmospheric pressure. Um, it's a unique property where its pressure is below approximately 74 PSIG. Um, it actually goes directly from liquid to solid. In the solid state of CO2, which people are generally uh, know it as dry ice, has numerous industrial applications. Um, CO2 is also non-reactive with other materials, uh, will not support combustion, and is heavier than air. So you see the qualities of it as a molecule, which hits all of these applications that I referred to. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. And then, so 
before we talk to, to Amy and Andy, can you just kind of introduce uh, SES and, and Earthly uh, for the listeners? How do they fit in with Chart from a high level? How, how material is the business today? And um, you know, where, where do you kind of see that going? So um, Amy and Andy are each going to give an overview of their businesses. So I won't go in a lot of detail on this, but from Earthly Labs, which we acquired in December of uh, 2021, that's our small-scale carbon capture solution. And you hear us talk about it for agriculture, food, and Bev, amongst other in markets. Um, Earthly Labs application is commercialized right now, and the demand for this application is phenomenal in the current state where we sit today. And that's really driven by the fact that the the CO2 users uh, view this as an easily installed option in a variety of different locations. It's small enough that it can fit where it needs to fit within a craft brewery, as an example. And it also has a very near-term payback period from an economic perspective. Our SES, or Sustainable Energy Solutions, cryogenic carbon capture technology, which we purchased in December of 2020, uh, is one that, as you heard from Andy, we've worked with for over a decade. Um, it's targeted to the larger application side, and we're seeing good traction in feed or engineering work, uh, in particular with industrial customers that have large existing plants or existing applications or assets that they need to address their uh, CO2 emissions. I will share that SES received the Department of Energy Award from the US DOE last quarter uh, with their process at Central Plains Cement Company's uh, plant in Missouri. And uh, the project will scale our CCC system to a capacity of 30 tons of CO2 per day. So that's, uh, that's a really strong step forward in getting the recognition from the USDOE. Additionally, um, just to brag a little bit on, on Andy and SES, researchers uh, from MIT and Exxon also analyzed the competitiveness of several types of carbon capture and storage technologies in an economic model. And the specific um, model here was around the manufacturing of cement which accounts for approximately 7% of annual CO2 emissions. The SES CCC was determined to be the most competitive technology. And in that analysis, it was determined that the cost to produce cement and capture CO2 using our SES CCC technology is only 24% higher than producing cement with no CO2 capture. And that doesn't account for any value of the CO2 that has been captured. In other technologies, the additional cost range from 38% to 134% higher than just running the plant by itself. So we love these markets. We think that they're actually in very early days and looking to um, commercialize more on the uh, larger scale and see that footprint of opportunity expand uh, for both SES and taking uh, the Earthly Labs offering into the international markets. Great, great. That's a, that's a good overview to, to kick it off. Amy, um, Let's talk about Earthly. I mean, my really simplistic layperson understanding of all of this, right, is that like if we're making alcohol, there's fermentation involved. Fermentation creates CO2. And then if we're going to have beer or something like that, you need fizz. And that's a product of CO2 that, that we're using. So you kind of like instead of emitting CO2 and buying CO2 from someone else, you're sort of putting a, a whole closed loop process together. So I don't know if that's a reasonable way to describe it. Maybe you'd correct that some way, but just uh, add to that if you could and help us understand the business a little more. Absolutely, Mark. You did a great job of describing it uh, perfectly. Um, we do focus on to broaden the footprint, you know, small scale emission sources 
uh, we've developed technology that allows us a very small footprint where when you think about carbon capture in the abstract to date, most of it has been really large scale point sources. Um, and we've focused on affordability of the technology and ease of use. Um, most of our customers aren't chemical engineers. And so what that means is we've got to uh, leverage automation and software to make it both easy to use and maintain and sustain that value proposition that we provide. Um, as you pointed out, our first speechhead market has been in the beverage sector, um, specifically in craft beer. We have expanded that to include wineries and distilleries in the larger beverage market and um, cideries, uh, kombucha, um, and other kind of beverage spaces, but also fermentation in the biofarm is an area of growth for us. Um, we are the leader in the world at this scale um, with more solutions than anybody else. And we continue to look for ways to, like Chart has done, um, make our technology molecule agnostic or to at least leverage a core platform where you could add modules to open yourself up to new markets. What's exciting about being part of, of Chart and SES, you know, we think SES has an amazing platform. And so we together are imagining how we integrate, you know, what's great about both platforms to allow us to tackle the in-between. Um, but we do have a vision as you uh, described of this circular CO2 marketplace, which today, you know, may, may be in the billions that is forecasted to be in the trillions. Um, that will will require us to both track the molecule on the software side, monitor it, report it, and ultimately, you know, convert it, sell it, or recycle it to keep it out of the atmosphere. Um, and we think there's a great opportunity for Chart to monetize that data layer for the benefit of our customers and also for the planet. Excellent. Well, there's an upfront cost. There's a cost to sort of run your equipment, I suppose, but that's offsetting a purchase cost that, that you would otherwise have if you, if you had to go buy CO2 from the marketplace. So there's a payback period element here. Yep. Could you just explain um, you know, what those payback periods look like? Is there uh, any kind of cost reduction roadmap that, that would play into that as we think about the opportunity over time? Just talk, talk to us about some of the costs, if you could. Yeah. Um... Um, absolutely. So we picked the craft beer market because, as you described, there is an easy a closed loop opportunity from a waste reduction and also a quick payback period. So as we imagine, climate tech has to start somewhere to find folks where there's easy market um, drivers helps adoption. In the case of our customers, most of them realize a payback in two to three years time frame. That's sort of at the aggregate. There's a big swing in the cost of CO2. So, it, you know, in a in a given market, it might be 38 cents. In more rural or faraway places, it might be as much as two dollars. Um, and in a post-COVID world, the prices have been extremely volatile um, under force majeure, most of them. And also, the surcharges for that product have gone up. And so that has taken that two to three year average down. Um, some of our customers, depending on where they are on that curve, could be under a year. And we saw a lot of folks um, who couldn't get CO2 
Um, so shortages have happened because plants have turned down, either it didn't make sense for them if they were connected to traditional energy to keep running. So the actual volume of CO2 in the commercial sense has gone away. Um, and we, we see that with the energy transition continue to play out. And so um, just last week I was talking to a customer and if they didn't, if they didn't have the CO2 recovery system, uh, they wouldn't meet their revenue targets um, for you know, production. So it's it's an insurance policy that pays for itself in a, in a matter of months. You know, so you're, we're helping people achieve their revenue goals. Um, so that's one way we think about value. The thing we haven't yet um, captured is the you know potential future around carbon credits and or trading or tax incentives. We have seen just since I launched the company, you know, the targets of the 45Q regime were at 500,000 metric tons and now we're in the tens of thousands. So we expect that continue to drop and folks who are making these investments be rewarded for it. And again, we have the software layer and reporting tools to help them take advantage of that world. Right. Yeah. Verifying is is going to be a, a really important part of all this. I guess just you, you mentioned some prices before and I just because I, I'm not in the marketplace for CO2 all the time. What uh, what units are, are we talking about there? The, the prices I was talking about is pennies per pound of CO2. OK, so those are sort of U.S. CO2 prices. Again, we see pricing different structures, of course, all over the world. But most of our customers are looking at pennies per pound. In addition to the CO2 price, they also have delivery fees and CO2 storage fees. Um, what's also great about Chart in the cryo-leasing program is our ability to take this big CapEx expense and convert it to a monthly lease, either direct through Chart or through their partners. And in doing so, in, in many cases, we could offset their cash flow position. So that they're actually spending less, but getting their own CO2 um, in more pure form um, at a you know a, a reduced cost. Mm -hmm. Is is there um, so you mentioned branching into now wine, and then there's a cannabis angle. Maybe talk a little bit more about that. But then I think you also mentioned bioenergy. I don't know if you said bioenergy or if there's a a biofuels angle that you could be addressing over time. Just maybe. Maybe talk about the, the applicability there. Yeah, absolutely. We do have cannabis applications presently. We have partners on the brewing side that have and or sell excess CO2 to cannabis growers who use CO2 to simulate the growing cycle and yields for their plants. We've also had demand for, you know, broadly agricultural products that use CO2 so we continue to look for those CO2 exchange partners and activating that marketplace, as well as, you know, how we can capture, you know, excess CO2 um, at the extraction phase of um, where there is a lot of loss in that super critical phase of super pure CO2. So that those are two ways um, that we see in the short term, long term, looking at how we help um, recover the CO2 in the greenhouse itself. On the, um, you know, biofuel side and, you know, bio-based product, we do see pharma as an immediate um, opportunity. It's very similar to what we're doing in brewing, but it's a whole different marketplace. Um, 
and have interests there as well as um, dry ice. Again, similar, they have loss in producing dry ice that if we can help them recover that, that gives them more um, product to help distribute vaccines as well as um, meet the needs of the marketplace for dry ice. Um, specific to energy, you know, that is sort of our um, third wave, if you will, vision at Earthly Labs. What's super exciting in working with SCS is they have an amazing platform for less pure CO2. So coming out of combustion, and Andy will talk to you about that. Um, but there is a gray area. So we have been approached to address the CO2 slipstreams that come off of some of the energy sources that are more pure. Um, and we're excited again to leverage the tech and knowledge out of SCS and are working actively to, to address that um, opportunity both in the US and in Europe. Great, well, maybe, maybe that's a, a good segue um, to, to ask Andy if you could talk to us a little bit about SCS, maybe give us a, a 101 on, on cryogenic carbon capture. How's that different? For more conventional types of capture, which I think are, I think of things like amine sorbents as sort of being the conventional, um, but maybe you would describe it a little bit differently. And are there certain applications that a cryogenic capture might be better suited for um, versus sort of more conventional methods? Thanks, Mark. It seems like uh, carbon capture, the definition of that and, and what it's describing expands all the time and, and changes quite a bit. So maybe I'll start off trying to define what I'm going to be discussing here, which will be uh, post-combustion cryogenic carbon capture. Um, and as you said, traditionally, the, you know, the, the current technology uh, for that is, is amines or solid sorbents or, or kind of what uh, has been traditionally used in, in uh, most of the demonstrations that have been, been done to date. Um, those technologies use kind of a chemical reaction to capture CO2. So they use either a solid or a liquid-based uh, chemical that can absorb CO2 and then they heat it up or something to desorb the CO2 as a gas. Cryogenic carbon capture in kind of the post-combustion sense that, uh, that I'm talking about here, the difference is that we separate the CO2 in a very different way. It's not a chemical reaction. And in a lot of ways, it's a much simpler uh, concept to, to understand. Everybody knows if you cool something down enough, it will freeze. And all we do basically is cool down the gas that would normally be coming out of a stack at a power plant or a cement plant or other industrial facility to the point where the CO2 freezes and forms a solid uh, or, or forms dry ice, uh, essentially. And then we can separate that solid from the other gases, which are nitrogen and oxygen, basically air that just came into the, the plant at the front end for the combustion. And those can be released to atmosphere. And then we can just warm up that solid CO2 under pressure, uh, turning it directly into a high purity liquid uh, stream that's ready for transportation and use. Does the um, does the flue gas need any kind of treatment prior prior to the the cryogenic process, or, or are you just taking it you know right out of the stack into your into your equipment? So the applications that we work on are are not very homogeneous. There's a lot of uh, difference in you know from a, a different industrial plant to a power plant, uh, depending on what's being burned and what's already there and as far as treatment goes. Uh, but our process handles uh, contaminants in the gas pretty robustly. So under a typical scenario, we don't need to do additional treatment before we go into our system. 
um, in kind of certain, you know, scenarios, there may be some treatment required, but our standard design uh, doesn't require any additional treatment, which is different than current technologies that are more sensitive to things like sulfur and nitrogen compounds that are in the gas. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and so you've got these pilots um, and you're, you're working towards commercialization, I guess. What, talk to us about the pilots you have. Um, where are you in, in, in progress there? Um, what are next steps? And then also why, why those pilots? Why not, you know, some other application? I mean, there's hundreds of applications that the world is looking at for carbon capture. Why are you picking these to sort of demonstrate and, and commercialize? So, so some of the great benefits of our technology are that uh, it's, it's a lower cost, lower energy technology, and an easier retrofit uh, technology to existing systems than, than uh, amine systems or, or other uh, more mature technologies that are out there today. And so that allows us to do kind of what Amy's trying to do, but more on a wholesale basis, a larger, a little bit larger scale, uh, which is look at for what we call small commercial markets where uh, we can produce CO2 today at a, in a, uh, at a specification and a purity where it's ready for transportation and use and can be sold into existing markets um, where, where that CO2 has value. And so we, uh, the, the pilots that we have going that are publicly announced, Jill mentioned, there's one that we're doing at a cement plant in Missouri um, with Eagle Materials. Um, and we have a few others going on at uh, some, some industrial sites in uh, Florida, some international projects at refineries. And in each case, these customers came to us with challenges that they have and, and solutions they needed for ESG goals or uh, for actually CO2 supply that they were looking for. And so we really appreciate the relationship we have there with them. From our perspective, uh, what we're looking for is strategically important markets where we can build a project today that's commercially viable. Uh, looking at CO2 pricing uh, in the local markets and also incentives for CO2 capture. But also these projects are kind of the tip of the spear for getting into long-term strategically important markets like industrial cement uh, power generation. And so that, that intersection of kind of our long-term uh, strategic goals and current commercial opportunity is what we're looking for in, in these pilots. What what does the competitive landscape look like for, for cryogenic capture? I mean, I, I'm aware of Air Liquide, for instance, has cryocap. Um, I don't know if that's trying to solve the same, same sort of problem or do the same sort of thing as, as what you have. Maybe it's quite a bit different, but just talk to us about, you know, who else is doing this and, and if there's um, what, what maybe your, how your offering might be different. Sure. Uh, yeah. Starting with, uh, with CrowdCamp, uh, the one you brought up specifically. Um, it's, a, it's a great technology. It's been around for quite a while, uh, mostly focused on removing CO2 from hydrogen streams, traditionally high pressure hydrogen streams with relatively high CO2 content. Um, and the, the cryogenic part of CryoCap is in kind of the CO2 purification step. So uh, it's a little different than what I described earlier, where we are separating the CO2 by cooling the gas down to the point where the CO2 freezes and we separate it. What CryoCap does essentially, and I'll, you know, again, uh, hopefully this is clear to everybody, but I'm not a representative of, of Air Liquide or, or CryoCap, uh, so you can, you can follow up with them on this. 
But uh, what they're doing essentially from a cryogenic standpoint is the purification of the CO2. So taking an already pretty pure stream of CO2, getting it a little bit pure and getting it into a liquid form. When they're doing post-combustion uh, or flue gas treating, they're still looking at really high, uh, relatively high CO2 concentrations, but they typically couple their technology with a different technology like a pressure swing absorption technology to do the initial CO2 separation, which is really what we're doing on the cryogenic side, and then they go into their kind of cryogenic distillation system. So the cryogenics are, are more on the, the CO2 purification side. Um, and, and that's you know, very different than what we're doing. Uh, from our perspective, uh, you know, in terms of cooling the, the gas down to the point where we can freeze the CO2 and separate it, um, there are some other um, companies and, and other people who have uh, pursued things kind of similar in a thermodynamic sense. Some of those in the past have been uh, Alstom, which is, is part of GE now, um, and uh, ATK, the rocket company. Uh, and in most cases, the, or in every case, the real challenge to do this in, a, in, in the right way is to get the heat integration right. So people kind of do the thermodynamics and say, okay, I can see where this, this could make sense, but you have to be able to um, recover as much energy as you can in this process. Uh, in order to really make it energy efficient. And that's where working with CHART is terrific because CHART really is the world leader in heat integration and, and heat recovery um, in processes like this. And the other trick is we're forming solids in our process and handling those solids has been a major hurdle for some of these other uh, technologies to be able to operate in a reliable way. And we've got uh, actually 65 patents now filed in the space, um, but a lot of those cover that solids handling in a reliable way. And so we feel pretty comfortable saying that in terms of this kind of post-combustion cryogenic carbon capture uh, space, the way I, I described it, um, we're the leaders uh, currently. And, um, and, and there's some other interesting, um, you know, kind of maybe next generation ideas that are out there, but we uh, continue to innovate and move things forward. Awesome. Well, that, that was really helpful. I, I didn't appreciate a lot of that, a lot of those aspects of the of the technology. Maybe um, if you could talk to the extent you're able to about kind of the cost cost structure, um, if we think about it on a on a cost per ton of capture, what does that look like today? Um, do you have a target and, and what's what's needed to kind of get to the target? Where where is the cost out coming from in the process? Yeah, so on a cost per ton basis, the um, your, your costs, both your capital costs and your operating costs are going to vary quite a bit depending on the application and the scale. Um, but speaking of kind of full industrial scale applications, uh, current technologies are usually estimated to be somewhere between 50 and $110 per ton of CO2 captured. And this is conventional. Um, this is like aiming everything that's happening in the world today, not, not what you're working on necessarily. You're just describing the market. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So our target is about half that. So between $25 and, and $50 per ton is about where our target is for these large scale uh, implementations of, of, uh, of carbon capture. Um, so that would be on anything from a natural gas combined cycle power plant to a natural gas boiler, um, a, a coal fired power plant or a, uh, or a cement plant. And that's roughly the order uh, of the CO2 concentration in the gases as well. And so as you work your way from kind of the lower CO2 concentration in a natural gas turbine type application to a higher CO2 concentration all the way up to a cement plant, 
your operating costs for all technologies, including ours, uh, will decrease. Mm -hmm. It's so okay. Scale is a a huge driver of it. Are are there other, you know, beyond scale? What would be the next two or three items that that are going to drive cost out for you? I mean, we talk about if you're talking about electrolyzers and things like that for green hydrogen, it's it's learning rates and just producing more and more of these things. You get better at your process. Um, maybe that's an example. I don't know if what you would say are the two or three, number two or number three things. Sure, yeah, CO2 concentration in the gas you're treating is important. Uh, scale is important. Another important aspect uh, to, to cost driving is the CO2 purity and pressure that you need for the end use of the CO2. And so there we're pretty uniquely suited to deliver a high purity, high pressure CO2 that's ready for pretty much any use. Uh, within our own technology, there certainly is a lot of room for, uh, you know, working through the learning curve and working with vendors to decrease costs over time. As Jill mentioned, this is, a, you know, an industry that's just taking off and, and our technology is getting off the ground right now as well. And so um, there, there are some uh, areas where we can certainly save on capital costs uh, as we um, expand and, uh, and scale uh, the technology. Great. Um, well, maybe Jill, uh, if we're talking about SES and Earthly today, but Chart also has an investment in Savante. Maybe you could just talk through what that technology is all about. Um, you know, what the why it makes sense for Chart and and what the the outlook is. Uh, yes. So uh, we believe there's room in the market for multiple technologies. Always a proponent of the right application for the right uh, solution and technology. We also believe there'll be further innovation as you just heard and evolution in the carbon capture technology world. Um, obviously our view as Earthly Labs and SES are good jumping off points um, for cryogenic carbon capture. And we're in the process of organically making these more efficient and adding innovations. Um, Savante therefore fits really well with us in that they do have a low CapEx solution. And as Andy described, uh, we have a very high purity solution. So we do work together with them on actual projects as well as on looking to innovate the two together or pieces and parts of the two together. Um, one other thing I'd mention is that chart equipment, including phrasal and heat exchangers, cold boxes, SMR systems, tanks, and the list goes on, uh, can be used in both SES and Savante applications. So there's a pull through from a commercial perspective as well. Okay, great. Um, well, maybe talking about kind of the, the carbon capture strategy more broadly for, for chart. Um, so, you know, there's other aspects of the market that um, what we've talked about so far, uh, you're not necessarily addressing. So if I think about transportation and storage in particular, like, are those parts of the market that Chart could be getting involved in. Um, there's companies that are offering carbon capture as a service. Is that something that you'd be considering? Um, or is it really just going to be offering equipment, servicing equipment? You know, maybe you're doing some leasing of equipment, but it still really revolves around the equipment side of the business than necessarily um, carbon capture as a service or owning storage or doing some of these other things. So we actually, in our water treatment business, um, we took the model of treatment as a service in play, and that's been um, pretty successful. Um, as, as you've heard, we're technology agnostic uh, related to our equipment, so we always look for the equipment sale. 
um, and leverage all the technologies that are out there uh, in particular on air coolers being used across the board in US applications. Um, so we'll continue to take advantage of the equipment play as the primary approach here, but um, we will expand and think about the world as we have been in water and as we have for what are customers really looking for. Um, we will not own the CO2, so you'll never see us actually getting into owning uh, or selling the molecule itself. But things like offering leasing options, um, the treatment as a service option, um, Earthly Labs online app that tracks and connects CO2 credits and, and customers, buyers, um, all of these are areas that we're looking to further develop. Mm -hmm. Okay. Something that always comes up with, with talking about the build out of, of CO2 or CCS and kind of the opportunity for market is there's a bit of a chicken and egg, right? Where you have um, potentially somebody that wants to do a lot of capture, but there's nowhere to put the storage or, you know, you can't, you can't pursue these projects unless you have storage, but you're not going to go build a storage project unless you've got certainty of people that need to store their carbon. So there's a chicken and egg there. Um, there's some solutions. North Sea has, has a bunch of hubs that they're doing. Um, Exxon and Talos are talking about doing it in the, on the U S Gulf coast. I mean, do you see that as a, as a gating factor? And, and how, how realistic is it, is it that we start to see some major hubs and does that, that open the floodgates in the U.S.? Can we do that without government support? Just maybe talk to us about how you're seeing that whole part of the market. So there's definitely um, an element of government support, and it's varied, obviously, depending on the, the countries that um, where the country strategies are. Um, in particular, in the U.S., you know, our belief is that having a, a standardized 45Q as an example um, at the right level will kickstart some of these projects that are um, trying to get there economically. We also, though, believe that um, there's certainly a um, an element of being self-sustaining as an industry, and that has to happen over time. So the view is that um, some of these major projects are waiting on further uh, government support and or funding. Um, and ultimately, uh, the, the industry, once that gets going, has to address the cost challenges that you've heard um, Andy talk about already on this call. Um, but we, we do think a standard 45Q number uh, across the board in the U.S. would help. What, what number? You know, just because Andy, we've got right, there's potential uh, upgrade to this in in the next uh, the next um, iteration of Build Back Better, which you know, we'll, absolutely. And and I'm going to let Andy opine on it because he deals with his customers um, on a on a day by day basis. I have a certain there's a certain spectrum, right? Everybody wants to go really high, and you know, my view is a little bit tempered from there, just so that it doesn't generate the wrong behavior. But Andy, why don't you give your your give your number? Yeah, um, so government regulation and unintended consequences are things that go hand in hand sometimes, right? And uh, so I think Jill's really wise there. Um, so what I, what I think is a reasonable approach would be to take into account um, the cost and value of, of CO2 that you're capturing from different sources. So um, it's, it's very different to take an already pure CO2 stream and compress it and put it in a pipeline. Uh, as opposed to taking something that has maybe 3% CO2 in it and, uh, and separate that CO2 out and put it in the pipeline. And so the numbers that have been tossed around, you know, range from where we're at today, which is $35 to $50 per ton, 
all the way up to you know over $100 per ton. And I think that those higher numbers would be reasonable for some of the higher cost um, and, and lower value uh, areas uh, that we need to decarbonize. But I'd, I'd like to see something that takes into account the difference in the value and the cost from those different sources. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Is, is there discussion uh, around that that you're aware of as, as some of these uh, proposals are coming together? There is a, actually the executive branch and the Biden administration uh, gave some comment along those lines during the Build Back Better kind of uh, discussions and negotiations where, where some of these 45Q expansion um, discussions are happening. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that that will be taken into account because what we don't want to see is, is uh, a regulation put in place that um, doesn't spend taxpayer dollars wisely and doesn't accomplish what we want, right? Yeah. Um, well, maybe to, to wrap up kind of the, the discussion on, on chart and carbon capture, Jill, um, can, can you kind of put it all together for us? You know, we talked earlier a little bit about some TAMs, but just where does a broader carbon capture opportunity end up for chart? You know, what's the, what's the next three or four years look like? And then does it, does whatever that looks like, is it much different once we get past 25 and into 2030 and beyond? It's our belief that in order to achieve the carbon emission reduction targets for 2030 and beyond 2050, that both the public and the private sector have announced carbon capture has to be part of the solution. And it needs to happen very quickly. It should have already been happening quickly over the past few years. And you know, we've seen some fits and starts to this as an industry. Yet from our perspective, the movement forward uh, with moving from engineering and demonstration projects to scale will happen in the next three years. And I think that's a 2023, you start to see some of these projects move on from a chart perspective, and then it meaningfully grows as we get to the middle of this decade. So much more of a hockey stick um, growth lever as we look ahead. Um, we've sized the opportunity, what we think is uh, reasonable in the next 10 years, and uh, that's really based on these projects getting larger as well as more of them. And this is a, a European as well as a North American approach. And as we've seen, the Middle East is also um, a key area and key geography that um, this, these applications can be used in. So more um, opportunity ahead and a little bit of patience we've had to have over the last couple of years, but we were able to pull in the right technologies and commercially be ready for what we believe is going to be a really um, exciting time this decade. Yeah, it certainly seems like there's um, a lot of opportunity. So maybe on that, looking out um, a few years one thing that we're doing is asking everybody that comes on to provide some kind of a prediction. Um, and this is, you know, not something we're going to hold you accountable for. It's not, you know, not meant to put you on the spot so much, but just more so several years out, provide something that's thought provoking that might not be on, on the radar for investors. Um, so with that, who wants to go first? Yeah, I think, so I think we all know that the world we're in today is different than the one that we're going to be in in the future. And, uh, but one of my favorite quotes is from uh, Dennis Gabor, who was a Nobel laureate in physics. He said that uh, futures cannot be predicted, but they can be invented. So my, my prediction is that, um, you know, collectively, we're probably wrong in, at least in specific terms about what the future is going to look like. 
um, but that the path to get to where we know we need to go is going to be paved by the innovations that we're working on today. Yeah, I can add um, to that insight. You know, we see the notion of distributed carbon capture, the networks that we're building as core to the future. Um, and that network effect is one that Chart can uniquely take advantage of because of their role in distribution and their existing partnerships um, in the supply chain of CO2. Uh, I think one area of, of exciting innovation is around conversion technology. How do we take that molecule, make something else and do it in an easy way um, and then increase the value of that molecule, both on the environmental side. So thinking of it with the constraint of greenhouse gas energy use, as Andy pointed out, as well as the economic value. Um, and then the third thing is just the, the rate of adoption, I think will probably surprise us. We've seen it just since COP26, um, leaders jumping out there with bold plans and ambitions that have nothing to do with regulatory requirements or incentives um, at a pace that in my 30 years in the space of sustainability is unprecedented. So um, it's exciting and it will drive innovation. Great, great. Jill? I'll wrap it up with um, my total addressable market is going to go up meaningfully uh, by 2025. So stand by for that. <laughs> nice, nice. We'll all be looking forward to that. Um, Andy, Amy, Jill, thank you so much. Uh, really, really enjoyed the discussion and uh, look forward to catching up again soon. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate thank you. you, Mark. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cowan Insights.